0: Dr. John, I don't want to know from his uh, last year's album, Anuthazone. It's 17 past 10. Well, this is the time of the week when we've been speaking to Dr. Carol Cusack, who's at the University of Sydney in the Department of Religious Studies. She's been taking us through the min- millennium. Now, we've got up uh, to the 15th century. We're still in the 15th century today. We're going to be talking about the fall of Constantinople, 1453 was the date. Carol good morning to you. Morning Sally. Now Constantinople uh, I think this is right was the capital of the Byzantine Empire which is a very big and rather important uh, city in, in those days.
1: Yes very much so. Biggest city that counted as part of Europe even though really it isn't part of Europe but because it was Christian and identified with the continuation of the Roman Empire. It had probably about a million people in the 15th century. And mostly Greeks uh, Greek-speaking, yes, in yes. general, but a mixture of different kinds of ethnicities, um, and of course the empire included Greece, parts of Turkey, the the modern Balkans, um, yeah, the islands, some of the islands in in the Adriatic, and and uh, so on.
0: Right. Now, uh, what happened? Who 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 wanted this territory?
1: Well, Constantinople was out on a limb, really, the the, the eastern edge of. A boundary which had been formed over history between Christianity and Islam because in the seventh century the Muslims had expanded out of the Arabian Peninsula into uh, the Middle East and had conquered uh, major cities that had up to that point been Christian, like Jerusalem and Damascus and Antioch, and from that point on Islam continued to expand into Iran and Iraq and up into Turkey and there were times when Christianity and Islam came very close together and and actually fought. Mm. One of these really crucial times was when Charlemagne's grandfather, Charles Martel, defeated a Muslim army in Poitiers in the south of France in 732 and that kept the Islamic faith out of medieval Europe. The only place where there was a presence was in Spain. But the Byzantine Empire had to deal with Islamic expansionism, you know, on a daily basis. It was in much more the sphere of influence of the Muslim religion. Yes. And so, at this point, um, the empire has been becoming weaker for a number of centuries. Uh, various reasons: internal politics, um, changing nature of society, incompetent emperors on occasion, and. The um, Ottoman Turks, in particular, have been becoming more and more mighty and blessed with some really tremendous uh, commanders, military campaigners, who pressed against the empire. Mm. And it certainly, by say about 1400, was looking very, very tottery.
0: Mm. Now, this empire, of course, Constantinople was was heavily fortified, wasn't it? I mean, it was no easy thing just to come in and
1: take it. No, to take. The Uh, To take other territories that belonged to the empire was easy, but Constantinople, you're right, was a heavily fortified city.
0: And how did they do it? The Turks
1: actually uh, did it, didn't they? It took them a while. It did. Um, Well, the notorious commander, Tamerlane, whom we mostly know from Christopher Marlowe's play, Tamerlane the Great, Mm. uh, he had intended to take Constantinople, he'd all but destroyed Damascus two years earlier and then he died in 1405 without realising his dream. He was actually planning a dual attack on China at the time so he has to be said to be a very ambitious man. (laughs) <laughs> and then two other very able sultans followed him murad ii who reigned from 1421 uh, to 1451 30 years a long long reign and then Mehmed the second who reigned another 30 year reign 1451 to 1481 who's called the conqueror because he actually was the the commander of the army that did bring down the city of constantinople and so what happened during the reign of murad Um, the emperors were feeling very frail and very nervous. And um, one of them, Manuel II, uh, felt the strain of being emperor so much that he actually retired and became a monk and died in a monastery in 1425. And then his successor, a man called John VIII, tried very hard to help the Empire, the Byzantine Empire, stay standing. He, he went around to all the Western leaders and begged for assistance, and he spoke to the Pope and talked about Christendom sticking together and couldn't, you know, the West generally and the papacy put money and, and military support into Constantinople, but unfortunately it didn't really come to anything. Um, hard to say why sometimes, perhaps the great, the great day of crusading for Christian causes was, was over. Um, And eventually, uh, one person did come to his assistance, Ladislaw III, who was the king of Poland. And that was quite interesting because, of course, people in Eastern Europe were also very familiar with Islam. And if you've ever been to Vienna, the uh, Stadt Museum, the City Museum of Vienna, has a whole lot of models and posters about the fact that the city of Vienna turned the Muslims back several times from their own walls and so it's funny to find a pole being the one person who came to help the, the byzantine emperor particularly when you consider that poland is a catholic country not yes. orthodox country but he he tried to help and he sent a crusade to go to bulgaria and serbia where the ottomans were were kind of expanding rapidly. Um, and he got a treaty out of them, which was, was quite good. But then there was a terrible defeat at a battle called the Battle of Varna in 1444. And um, Sultan Murad, who's in in, cha- in charge then, uh, was just overwhelmingly the victor. And it's generally concluded by historians at this point that Europe, as such, gave up on the Byzantine Empire mm. in 1444. They just thought, what is the point? It's going to collapse there's no point us giving it any more help, any more assistance.
0: Mm, That's interesting. They just washed their hands of it, essentially. Yeah,
1: which would be funny because it was of great psychological significance to them, you know, the inheritor of the Roman tradition and all of that kind of thing. But somehow they just decided that they had to look to their own boundaries and their own concerns, Mm. you know, which is comprehensible. And, of course, at this point all during this point. England and France are engaged in the Hundred Years' War, so they don't have any mm. time or any They were fairly weak at that point. Yeah, well, they're kind yeah. of concerned with their own internal anxiety.
0: Mm. A bit like America in the East Timorese situation.
1: <laughs> Very similar. I like all
0: these parallels we can
1: find. Well, yeah. Yeah. And anyway, the, the last gasp... Um, the last emperor, a man called Constantine the Eleventh, and a lot of people think it's very poignant, you know, that he was called Constantine mm. because of the the great emperor in the fourth century who'd converted to Christianity and who'd built Constantinople, which I think is is quite important. He was crowned in 1449, and by this time, you know, really the end was nigh. Um, he was actually um, a tremendous person in a lot of ways. Um, and a fitting person to be the last emperor um, the cambridge medieval history says the man who was to be the last emperor of Byzantium showed himself worthy of his destiny and was able to invest the last hours of this empire of a thousand years with a spiritual exaltation mm. it had so lacked towards the end of its existence, which is quite a romantic sort yeah. of, sort of yeah. thing. Never mind all the dead bodies. <laughs> but <laughs> when you realise that he did plead and beg with Europe for help and got none, eventually the siege under the emperor, uh, the, the sultan Mehmed, Mehmed the Second, Mehmed the Conqueror, began in 1453. Once the city was besieged, medieval people understood, you know, there was really nothing you could do because what the besieging army used to do was starve you out. Mm. If you didn't run out of food, you would run out of water or both, and eventually the people inside would probably rebel and beg their leaders to to submit Mm. so that they would survive. And by the time we got to the 29th of may of 1453 um the turkish soldiers were actually inside the city um and the fighting was absolutely at the height of its violence and um outside the church of san romanos it's very important constantine the 11th was a genuinely heroic figure no matter what the purple prose of the um of the cambridge medieval history says um he was actually sighted for the last time fighting outside the church of St. Romanos uh, he'd taken off his imperial robes and he wore the garb of a plain soldier mm. was trying to encourage his men and he was um, naturally cut to pieces and died uh, and eventually the sultan made a solemn entry into the city and uh, he then let his soldiers absolutely ransack it rape and pillage because um, he Expressed the only wish he expressed was that they didn't destroy any buildings, and, and of course they took out a terrible vengeance for the long siege, three days mm. of ravaging, um, and uh, from that point on, it was a Muslim possession. And and I guess this is the
0: font of that continuing antipathy between Greece, b- between the Greeks and the Turks. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would really think so. Yeah, um, the it's never been resolved. No. Really.
1: Well, the other thing that's really interesting is when you think about um, Old Ladislaus of Poland sending his crusade into Bulgaria and Serbia. You know, that is the, the source of well, the Islamic presence in the Balkans is the source of the, the terrible troubles over Bosnia mm. in the last couple of years.
0: Yes, to think that they go right back all those many centuries, it's extraordinary,
1: isn't it? Yeah, and it's really interesting when you consider that Islam and Christianity are both, of course, forms of monotheism and and derive ultimately from the same tradition even kind of recognise a certain kinship and Judaism as their, their parent faith but there is so much of a, of a of an intolerance and an inability to accommodate between the two.
0: Yes so so many religious wars are just that mm. Carol just to, just to finish up the, the fall of Constantinople in 1453 that was really one of the I guess watersheds, one of the dates in history that re- we remember because it's I think uh, the, it signifies the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of, of modern times is that right?
1: Well certainly it can be viewed that way it's the most notable event of the 15th century in the east most definitely there's no question about that um psychologically i think it was enormously notable for the west too you know people um grieved for the loss of something it was like losing rome all over again Mm. They'd lost, you know, a millennium before.
0: Or the British Empire losing something, although they, the, the grieving wasn't uh, wasn't quite the same.
1: No, because Constantinople really went out with a bang, mm. rather than the the slow, sort of quiet fading away. Yes. But yes, very very significant event. Mm.
0: All right. Look, we will, we will talk next week about another event in our uh, in our millennium. Carol Kuzak, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thanks, Sally. Dr Carol Cusack there from the University of Sydney with her expert uh, expert analysis of the, the major events of our millennium. I hope you've been enjoying these uh, these little history lessons. It's <laughs> certainly bringing back a few memories for me of, of the history that I learnt as a, a very, very young schoolgirl. Names like Tamburlaine and, and Charlemagne. Great names from, from the past. It's a 29 and a half past 10.